Welcome to Following the Way. We're a podcast that's all about following Jesus and learning his way for our lives. We believe that scripture reveals this way and invites us to follow. We're glad you're with us as we seek together. Welcome everyone. So good to be together again on this podcast. Uh, if you were with us the last time, we are diving into a diving, diving <laughs> into a new series uh, in the book of Revelation, specifically looking at the letters to the churches that are at the beginning of the revelation that was given to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And so uh, the episode that I did last week was sort of an intro and, and really just asking the question, what is Jesus saying to his church today? What would he have us know? And, and it comes from a conviction that I have, that I believe that Jesus really wants to speak to his church in these days, and that uh, we're meant to have uh, ears that are listening and ears that hear what Jesus is saying. And so we want to look at these incredible letters, sobering letters, encouraging letters that are written to the church's um, in, in Revelation, the beginning of the book, and really um, serve as God's eternal word today to really speak to us still. And so I want to receive all that the Lord has for us in this, and especially in the midst of what we're walking through uh, locally here, uh, we're walking through another round of really uh, tough restrictions and uh, things that are that are difficult uh, for people to walk through. And, and yet, I have this this firm conviction that Jesus wants to use this time to work so much good and so much fruit and so much depth in our lives. And so um, I want to invite you to come along as we look through these letters in Revelation and to and to really seek the Lord for what he's saying. So we're going to begin beginning of Revelation 2 to the church in Ephesus. And I'm going to read uh, what Jesus says here in these seven verses, and then we'll begin to unpack them a little bit. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice, the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, some really poignant uh, words, sobering words here also encouraging words, um, but striking on many levels. You know, I want to I start, though, by just making note and, and highlighting where it says here that talks about the words of him being Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. You know, the, the seven golden lampstands is such 
an interesting picture here at the beginning of Revelation. It recalls recalls Moses and the vision, the spiritual uh, vision, reality that, that God showed him. And then he was told to construct a replica of what he had seen. And so uh, he constructed these seven golden lampstands or candlesticks, among other things that he had seen. And, and Moses constructed them into a single lampstand that we now know as the menorah. Now, John's lampstands, however, are separate. And in his commentary on Revelation, John Stott, he wonders if we are meant to see in them the church as she appears in the world, right? Congregations that are located here and there all over the world, which can be isolated and indeed destroyed, as Jesus says to Ephesus. But on the heavenly level, and this is what I think is such an incredible picture, the church is united and indestructible. She is centered on Christ. And while the lampstands are scattered across the earth, the stars of the churches that represent the churches, the stars are held together in the hand of Christ. And so this there's this link um, that we're meant to see with the church where, you know, lamps that gleam here and there across the world and, and, you know, we're always under the threat of extinction and, and the church, um, though, as that, as Jesus sees it is this cluster of, uh, inextinguishable stars in the hand of their creator. And so the, you know, John is able to face the tribulation. He's able to go what he's going through because he knows he knows what the kingdom is about. And so he's able to confront the storm because his foundations are deeply embedded in Christ. And, and so the tribulation and the kingdom produce this patient endurance. And that's that's really one of the focuses of the entire book of Revelation. And for us, it's so key in these days that we're meant to have in us this patient endurance as God is working his kingdom purposes. And so this is for all of God's people. Uh, the, the tribulation, the kingship, and the endurance that Jesus knows and John knows and, and, and that we're seeing communicated here in Revelation. And if we are as followers of Jesus, we're, we're also going to share the same experience as his followers. And so like John, you know, there's this picture on Patmos, we suffer, but in the spirit, we reign right? Because John was caught up in the spirit and then he saw the reality of what was to come. And so that's such an incredible picture for us to see here in the lampstands and in the seven stars. Now, when you get to Ephesus and, and the church there, John himself is believed to have been the leader in Ephesus for many years. Now, Given that fact, are we surprised that this church came to be known for their love for Jesus? That, I mean, that that's just what John exemplified as an apostle. But it's it it's believed that it was at Ephesus actually that the apostle John opposed a guy named Serenthus. Now, Serenthus 
uh, was an early church leader who embraced Gnosticism. He was he was putting personal spiritual knowledge over the teachings and, and the held doctrines of the early church. And Serenthus, actually, he denied that God created the world. He believed that Jesus was a man who only received the spirit of Christ at his baptism. And actually that that spirit of Christ departed from him at the crucifixion. He believed Jesus to have been naturally born of Joseph and Mary. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. Um, it was, and it was passed on to generations after this, that John actually wrote his gospel mainly to refute this guy who also held to his own gospel of Serenthus. So he, he actually had his own gospel that he held to. And so you can see, knowing the backstory of that, you can see where Jesus says to the church, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So we can see, you know, the history of this church. And it, then he, Jesus talks about the Nicolaitans. They're also mentioned. It. They, they were an early sect in the church that were noted for their unrestrained indulgences of the culture around them. They just, you know, they, they just, they became regarded as heretical by the early church because of the way that they were living. And so the church in Ephesus wouldn't stand for them. And Jesus says, yeah, like you hate their practices and I hate their practices too. Like I can't stand them. So that's some of the background. That's some of how we see how this church had taken shape, who they were. But how had that this church fared since John is no longer there? And we, you know, we see in Acts and Ephesians that this church, the church in Ephesus was known for their love and their zeal. And we certainly see that here as well. They, they says that they are known for their deeds, their hard work and their perseverance. They're known for enduring hardships for the name of Jesus and yet have still not grown weary. So their, their commitment to this, their commitment to the values of sound doctrine is obvious. In fact, according to a letter written to the Ephesians not long after this by Ignatius, who was the Bishop of Antioch, the report that had reached him was of a church so well taught in the gospel that no unorthodox sect could even gain a hearing among the members of the church. The, the church that had, ta- had taken so seriously the writings of Paul earlier to them um, and, 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 and some of the stuff that had been said to them, that they, they, wouldn't even, they wouldn't even listen to any other members who were not following the doctrine of the church. So there, there's aspects of this church that we would be inclined to applaud. Like commitment to truth, unwilling to compromise and on important issues relating to doctrine and the, the rejection of spiritual practices that that you know elevate our personal opinions and beliefs above scripture. All those sorts of things, the Gnosticism, all those things that were swirling around and the church had just rejected. And we'd be like, we we'd applaud that. We'd go, that that is that is good. But there was a massive problem. And that was the forsaking of their first love, their love and affection for Jesus, their radical passion for Jesus had been lost. And and it had been replaced by all other sorts of focuses and substitutes. And, And what do we see grow in that absence, in the absence of this love? We see legalism, we see rules, we see pride. They think highly of themselves, they think highly of how they're behaving. They won't even listen. They won't even uh, give an audience to others who are, are going down a different path. 
So all this, this is swirling alongside perseverance and hard work, which is, is why, you know, this can be so hard to, to root out of our lives is because there's good things, there's good qualities alongside really harmful qualities that have uh, taken root. And Jesus calls them back to where they once were. And he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. And I, and I wonder, even in that, if there's a possible connection to Ephesians 2, 6, where it talks about how God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Like the height of that, the height of that, that where we are in Christ and the love that we have for him. And Jesus says, remember the height from which you've, you've fallen. Like you're not there anymore. And so Jesus calls them back to their first love. You know, we can have all sorts of knowledge and gifts. We can have all sorts of perseverance. But without love, like the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, we are nothing. But our, our love for others, you know, when, uh, the love that we'll have for others is rooted in and sustained by our love for Jesus. And we cannot miss this connection. Radical love for others flows from our radical love for Jesus and receiving his love for us. Now, Jesus says all this and then he calls the church in Ephesus to repent. Repentance is not something to be avoided and embracing our first love in these days is paramount for the church. And so where we have forsaken this for all sorts of other loves in our lives, Jesus says repentance is the answer, turning and getting back to our first love, cultivating passionate love for Jesus. Pursuing this above all the other passions and distractions is a call for these days. I mean, think about all the other things that we can get wrapped up in. Think about all the distractions that are banging at our door constantly. And Jesus says, Come back, get back to your first love. And so perseverance and hard work and commitment to truth cannot be separated or pursued at the expense of fervent devotion to Jesus. And so like verse 7 says, Let, let's have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in these days. Let's, let's be listening to what Jesus is saying to us amidst these important days. Let's not get distracted and lose the fact that our first and our, our first devotion, our primary devotion is to be to cultivate love for Jesus. And sadly, the church in Ephesus didn't listen. Jesus said here, he says, if you're not going to repent, uh, I'm going to remove your lampstand and that first lamp was indeed removed. Tragically, the, the church and the city together, they have vanished. They, they are nowhere to be found. All that remains in the place there were Ephesus, which was an incredible city at one point. All that remains in that place is, an, is a, a, a little place named Eliasuk. Uh, I'm pronouncing that right. And ironically, that place commemorates not Ephesus, but John. It's it's named after a church built in the fifth century and dedicated to John, not, not to anything else. But 
there's a promise as well here, and, and, and we want to we receive this promise that if we return to passionate, fervent love for Jesus, the promise of eternal life forever with the Lord awaits us. And so, you know, I was thinking through this today as I was working through this text and reading it, and just thought about, you know, I, I don't want to buy into the culture, cultural deception that passionate love for Jesus is just an extra option, but not really required. Like, like, like we'll just get by without it. There, there is a sifting of the church that is happening right now. And there's a sifting of the church that is going to continue to, and will come. And passion for our first love is a core issue for the Western church. What did Jesus say in Matthew? He says, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Love for Jesus is and passionate love for Jesus, not tepid, not like lukewarm, and, and we'll get to that yet, you know, about being lukewarm here in these letters, but passionate devotion and love for Jesus is what is meant to mark, mark the church for Jesus. It's meant to mark every single one of us in the West. And so if we're not if we're not there, if passionate dedicated, fervent love for Jesus isn't at the very forefront of our lives, why should we be surprised if there's going to be a sifting that happens? And sadly, there is going to be some that do fall away. And I would say to that is, let it not be us. Whatever is going to happen, let's take responsibility for where we're at and go, let, let that not be us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this um, today as, as I end this, this podcast. And that is, what, what is God speaking to us through this? What, what would the Lord say to us? What, what is the Lord personally speaking to you in these days? What does Jesus want to say to you about your love for him? Where is your love for Jesus? Is it, is it growing? Are you pursuing it? Is there, is there things in your life, distractions? Is there other things that are taking the place of your devotion and the pursuit of passionate love for Jesus? Are you actually, have you actually uh, compromised in some way? And are you compromising? And is Jesus calling you out of that compromised position into fervent devotion? And I, this is where I believe that that amidst difficult things right now, there's an opportunity in these days, specifically with what we're going through, to really drill down and, and to, to deepen our roots in the Lord. And so I bless you in that as you contemplate this, as you put this before the Lord, as you wrestle with this, and as you hear from the Lord, let's, let's go deep in Him and let's increase and grow in our passion and our desire and our love for him. Bless you. And uh, we will see you again as the next episode, we're going to get into uh, the letter to the church in Smyrna. We'll see you again. <laughs>